0: Well, we're picking up in verse 6 tonight, but remember back there in Titus 2.1, after talking about the heretics at the end of chapter 1, he starts chapter 2 by saying, but as for you, Titus, okay, the heretics got their plan to indoctrinate people under their self and get people in their own little groups for themselves, but as for you, here's how I want you to build up the church and strengthen the church, You need to be willing to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. I I need you to be ready to tell people truly what the Lord is saying of how to live a practically godly life. Remember in Matthew 28, this was Jesus' great commission. Go therefore and make what? Disciples, that's a Greek word, transliterated in the English. And so we're looking at a transliterated English word. We say, what in the world does that mean? we got to go back to the Greek, and it's one who has an appetite to learn. Go get a group of people that are willing to learn. Um, Be honest with you, throughout Christendom, throughout America and, and, and most of the world, People don't want to come to a church unless the sermon is, you know, inspiring and 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 it, it stirs them up. And there's a lot of stories and jokes. And you know, they're sort of comparing it to their television set. Should I stay at home watch TV, or is the pastor as exciting as the TV? And you know, if the pastor can somehow get there with you know lights, cameras, and bands and whatever, try to draw people. Then okay, it was. But you know what, the way you bring people is the way you gotta keep people. And no matter how great the show is, once you've had it a few times, it's, I'm not gonna go to the show anymore. But in in Christianity, we're to find people that are hungry to know God, hungry to know his word, and they're willing to be taught it. So I want you to go and find those people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations or all people groups. Uh, non Jews is it's actually the word heathen uh, can also come from that same word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. So make disciples. People who are hungry to learn, and then teach them. Not preach at them, not evangelize them, not entertain them, but teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age amen. And so again Timothy is told to teach sound healthy doctrine because sound doctrine will produce a sound life. Healthy doctrine will produce healthy people. And healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. If you're a healthy Christian, you'll have a healthy marriage and you'll be a healthy parent and you'll because of your health in the Lord you'll share Christ with others. It's something that happens. Healthy sheep will produce more and more healthy sheep. We saw last time he told him first to talk to the older men. So even though Titus was a younger man, he was to not be intimidated by that. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy to not let anybody despise his youth. Don't let it happen. Just tell him, you know what? Wisdom doesn't come with age. Um... Wisdom comes from God and and, and the knowledge of his word. Then you need to teach the older women. And again, a list of things. At the end of the older women, he said, now you need to teach the older women what the younger women need to know because they are the ones who teach the younger women. Titus, it's not your job to teach the younger women. You're to teach the older men. You're to teach the older women. And then you're to teach the older women to the point where they can teach the younger women. And then tonight, we're coming back to verse 6, to now the young men. And he says in verse 6, likewise. This is a linking word, which means equals to, in the same way. So the way you would exhort an old man or the older women or how you would teach anybody, you teach it to the young men. Same way he had told them earlier, respectfully, in love, in gentleness, and patience, with the word, exhort them now this is interesting he doesn't use this with the others it literally means to plead with to strongly encourage so often young men are immature young men are flighty young men are are not wanting to be diligent Um, they're not wanting to be serious especially about spiritual things and and you need to in particular, use some energy to entreat them, exhort them, beg them, these young men, that they would be, referring to character. Number one, a sober mindedness. The Living Bible translates this to urge the young men to behave carefully, or another translation says to take life seriously. I like that. I think that's the sense of it. Exhort them to take life seriously. You know, the one thing that you'll discover as you get older is it's just a blink of an eye from 18 to 48. I mean, it's not like, wow, you know, I'm 18. It'll be forever when I'm in my 40s. No. You fall asleep, you wake up, and all of a sudden all you 40-year-old guys are smiling going, yeah, I know, um, that's, how, that's how we injure ourselves because in our minds we're still 18 years old and we try to jump that bush and our mind jumps just our body didn't and uh, you know face first and all that but that's another point point. and so to have a sober mindedness a seriousness uh, about their life often young people are infatuated with zeal and I don't want to say emotionalism but they, they want to be fired up about something but zeal, without knowledge, is a dangerous combination. Matter of fact, in Romans ten two, speaking of a group of people, he says, I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. <laughs> and he refers to this as a very negative thing. And young people, in particular, want to have zeal. Young men, they want to you know, conquer that mountain. And it's good. We need that zeal. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, when he used to teach young men pastors, he just said, you know, the the greatest thing you can be is just on fire for God because people will come to watch you burn. And you can't say enough about zeal and passion and desire, all of these things that youth have, but they'll have them towards foolishness. They'll have them towards uncleanness. They'll, They'll pour their youth into things that have no lasting power and won't bless them in their older years. And so you need to help take that youthfulness and help them to channel it into knowledge, into wisdom. And then he goes on to say, in all things, showing yourself, Titus, to be a pattern for good works. So these young men... They're looking, and I'll tell you what, it is a really difficult thing to hear, this is how you need to live, and then you don't see it in example around you. It's a very stumbling thing. Young men need to see guys loving their wives and how they're raising their kids. They need to see them witnessing, sharing the Lord. They need to see them turning away, from things that would stumble or things that are unclean. And he, he tells him here that the, the greatest teaching you will have is your example, is your life. Matter of fact, the word here for pattern, showing yourself a pattern for good works, it's the word tupos, which literally means to make a mark or an exact replica. So to use a hammer, an instrument, and tools, but in it using and making an exact replica of something else. And so here he's saying being an exact replica of good works, or of course, of Jesus. It's interesting that the Bible tells us that we were made for good works. In Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship. That's the Greek word poema, work of art. Every one of us is our special work of art of God. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is sort of a radical thought. That before time ever began, God uniquely made you. There's nobody with DNA like you. Whether it's your eye or your thumbprint or Any part of you is completely unique and he made you this work of art and then he planned out thousands of years if you would before you ever existed he planned out the days of your life and every day he has filled it up with good works if you walk in them. If you walk in them. They're there. If you're spiritually minded if you're walking in the spirit If you're meditating the word and praying without ceasing, you'll have a mind of Christ and therefore you will experience what Christ has you to experience uh, in tremendous fruitfulness. And uh, here he says, this is something that was planned before time began. I love that. So often, you know, we, we, we realize that we have choices and our choices make a difference. We reap what we sow, whether that's good or bad. You're going, all right, I'm glad I reap what I sow. I'm reaping righteousness, and I'm going to sow righteousness. I'm, I'm sowing righteousness, and I'll reap righteousness. Yeah, that's wonderful. That should be a joyful thing to all of us. You're here tonight, sowing, if you would, righteousness. I bet it can go in the negative, too. If you're sowing to the flesh, you're, you're going to reap of the flesh. And here we discover, though, and this, it's something that God, in his own purpose, his own divine sovereign will, has already put in place before time began. I, I can't stand those video games. I know a lot of How many of you guys love those video games? You know, bing, 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 bing. Come on, go ahead, admit it. Go ahead. Nanette, do you like those things? You never played him, I know your son does. Um, yeah, come on, there's a, there's a, you guys are, everybody's like, if I, don't raise, if I raise my hand, he'll think I'm not spiritual. Okay, don't raise your hand. I, there's only two people that were honest enough to raise your hand, but they, they just irritate me, okay? I, I think it's just, I'm just like, just a couple years too old, you know, just somehow the curve missed me there. But uh, every once in a while, you know, you have those little tiny guys, you know, little plumbers, I don't know what they're called, and uh, they jump up and they get the coins, you know, and then if you know what you're doing, they bump their head and they get a bunch of points. I, I don't know why that's enjoyable, but it is to some people. And, you know, then at night, I, I hate, I'd hate i hate to be in one of those dreams of somebody after doing that for four hours, you know, in the middle of the night, bing, 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 you know, I don't know what, but it is addictive in that you want to get all the points. And, you know, I, I'm, it's like, I know there's I know I'm going to die if I go back, but there's one point back there, and you want to go back, and then you die to get the one point. They're telling you, ah, forget it. There's more points ahead. But that's the way I picture it, if you would. (laughs) We're going through the day, and God has put coins, if you would. He's put little prizes everywhere. John, you're a video guy. Come on. Why didn't you raise your hand? You play those videos, don't you? You don't? You don't like them either? Well, okay. So anyway... um, I guess it's old people night on Wednesday night or something, I don't know. <laughs> okay, we got, got a couple of young people. So um, anyway, I, I thought this analogy would work, but okay. Remember Frank Sinatra? No, I don't know. <laughs> Remember back in the 1800s? Um, okay, anyway, God has predestined ahead of time great works, they're there if you will walk in them, if you will pay attention. And I'll tell you what, the day you wake up and there's no predestined good works for you to fulfill that day, that's the day you die and go home and be with the Lord. God's not gonna keep you one second longer on this earth. You're here for one reason and that's to bear fruit unto God, to bless humanity. And when our work is done and God knows whether that's Eight days on this earth, or eight weeks, or eight months, or eight years, or 80 years. Only God knows. But when our work is finished, he is going to take us home. We'll breathe our last. So if you wake up tomorrow morning, it's because God has good works for you. And if you're paralyzed, God has a good work for you to do in a paralyzed condition. To pray, to cry out to God, to meditate in his word, and worship him, and He's going to use you in whatever state we're in. If you're alive on this earth, he's created you in Christ before time began that you would walk in these good works that he's predestined for you. And then he goes on to say, not only in good works, but also to be a pattern in doctrine, showing integrity. So it's interesting here as he wants him to teach But then when it comes to young men, he says, yeah, I want you to teach them. But then he's now pointing out the thing they need the most is a pattern. They need a pattern of good works. They need somebody to show them integrity. This word integrity here is the word honesty or honorable. They need to see an honorable person. Can you think right now of an honorable person? Just a man of renown, it is an it is amazing thing to see young people as mighty men of God, maybe they're a computer person or maybe they're a businessman or maybe they're a carpenter, or whatever that is, that you're a man of honesty and integrity. When I uh, was a carpenter. Um, a good friend of mine got me the job. Who's a really good Christian guy, and he was young at the time. And I, would graduated from college after all that education. I became a carpenter, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember the first Friday that came. All the guys that were working for the boss that weren't directly there was really only a few of us that were direct working. But he would hire people from here here time to time to help him out with big jobs. They would go over and they'd just start loading up their bags with nails and grabbing all kinds of hinges and whatever, just stealing from the boss, you know? And uh, I remember um, I was going to help my friend that weekend and remodel his house. And I said, man, we should, you know, get some nails and stuff because we're going to be working on your house this week. And, he's, and he said, no way, we're emptying. And we emptied out every single nail out of our pouches. And uh, he goes, you know, whatever I use at my house, it'll be from my buying of it. And uh, I just remember that, it just really stuck with me. And, uh, and I know it was an incredible example to other guys as well. And because that's very common on the job site. And uh, again, it was honorable. It was something that was uh, profound, if you would. And this is the kind of thing, you know, are we going to be honest? You know, of course, we hear about the George Washington stories, you know, walk 10 miles to uh, whatever it was, to return a penny or whatever it is. I don't know. He's the guy who fell out of a cherry tree. One of those guys did something, you know, honorable like that. But you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you have stories of your parents or uh, things like that, that that really stuck with you. And this is what he's saying. I want, I want you to have moments of profoundness. In these guy's life, of good works, of honesty, integrity, and of reverence, I want them to see somebody who is probably we would say it today dignified. So I want them to see a pattern of good works. I want them to see this guy who's honorable. I want them to see this guy who's dignified. And it, it's a powerful thing. Again. To try to see somebody, even a teenager, 14, 15, 16, uh, in their 20s, you know, with this kind of quality. And and it's very possible. God wouldn't say it's not possible. And then, or, or wouldn't say it's possible and then it's not attainable. That these young men see this in you, Titus. And that their life are also, if you would, inspired to begin living that kind of life, even at a young age. Now, here's a real big one here. His life is also to be a pattern of incorruptibility. There, there's no weak spot. You, there's nowhere they can corrupt you. That, that the people in your world, the peer pressure or opportunities that come your way, that it's just, there's no way. Just like water off a duck's back. It does not affect you. I think of a couple guys in the Old Testament that really stick out that way. I think of Joseph. Remember the guy of coat's many colors? And he was an honorable, dignified guy. And his brother, even though he was the youngest brother at that time, he ended up having a younger brother later, Benjamin, but his dad put him in charge of all the other older brothers who weren't, (laughs) as Joseph was, dignified and honorable. But you remember they captured him, threw him in a pit, they were gonna kill him. Reuben finally said, no, let's sell him uh, into slavery. And they sold him to the Midianites who ended up selling him to uh, down in Egypt. So here he is, a slave in Egypt. Now, a lot of young people who believe in God and, and since they have a calling of God and then something horrific like this happens, they would lose their faith. they would like, man, if there is a God, well, I hate his guts because he's allowed me to be taken away from my family and I'm here in Egypt as a slave and so forth. But even as a slave, he had this dignified, honorable, reverent life. And immediately, even though he was a young man, he's in charge of over Potiphar's house. But you remember the story. Potiphar didn't know his right hand from his left hand. Joseph ran everything. He said, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Ask Joseph. But while Potiphar was out of town, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. But Joseph was incorruptible, wasn't he? And finally, he, he, he's trying to be as polite as he can. No, no, no. And finally, he just leaves his garment behind and runs and, and just hides out until Potiphar comes back. And, uh, and then she immediately twisted it and said, He raped me. Here's his jacket to prove it. He goes to prison. And again, in prison, you could say, man, God's surely forsaken me. There's a God, I want him not to recognize me anymore because it's horrible. He's treating me horribly. And, but in prison, how was he? Honorable, dignified, reverent. He immediately gets being part as a top prisoner. Like, it's just every time he gets a higher job, but it's at a lower place. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but there you know the story, how God used that and he ended up becoming next to Pharaoh in power and saving all the people alive in that time through seven years of famine. Daniel, another man, very incorruptible, a very young age, just purposed in his heart along with three of his buddies, really sort of was an example to them and those guys sort of joined him in his example of just saying we're not gonna be a part of the Babylonian idolatry and if that means we have to be a vegetarian, that's what we'll be because all their meat was sacrificed to the various gods. I'm not going to partake of anything sacrificed to your pagan gods. And, but you know the whole story. No matter what was thrown at him, whether it was the lion's den or anything else, he was a man who continued, was a pattern of good works, of godliness, of righteousness. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And may it so be amongst us that we have young men who are Joseph's, young men who are Daniel's. You know, people often, they say, man, I try to pray for a while and I just don't really have anything to pray about. Well, read through Titus. Pray for the old people, <laughs> which is most of you guys. Pray for yourselves. And uh, <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, you didn't play video games, so I just assumed you're old like me. And uh, <laughs> and then, uh Pray for the older women. Pray for the younger women. Pray for the young men. Pray for the youth. Pray for those who are leaders to be honorable, dignified, reverent, godly men with of good patterns of life. He also needs to be a pattern of sound speech. Sound, that word we've seen over and over again in Titus referring to healthy. We get our word hygiene from this Greek word. Healthy speech. They cannot be condemned. So now we're talking about our words. And with our words, there can be no condemnation because of what we've said. So many verses on this in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, verse 29. In verse 30, Paul says there, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One of the ways we grieve God is our corrupt communication that comes out of our mouth. And here he says, when your mouth is opened, it should be, bring edification, which is the word to build up, to strengthen. That when you do open your mouth, it brings strengthening. Ephesians 5, verse 3. He says, not, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And you know, for a lot of things, the way we grew up, um, you know, I grew up where we were all a bunch of comedians and we loved to cut each other down. But when I realized it wasn't edifying and, you know, it was sort of in the family, you go outside the family, people start getting offended, I really had a hard time turning it off. I didn't realize what a huge part of the percentage of my communication was cutting people down, just in jest, to be funny. And again, I think once we get that pattern of foolish talk or of coarse jesting, of foolishness, of silliness, it's just not fitting for the saints. He's not saying that some sin, the earth's going to open up and you're going to go to hell. He's just saying it's not fitting for Christians, but rather after our words are done. It should bring the giving of thanks. In Ephesians, he said, building up of people. And now he said it should produce people to want to thank God for our words and what we said. In James 3, you probably know this well, chapter three, verse two. For we are all stumble in many things. Amen? If anyone does not stumble in word, he is A perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Wow. He's saying, if you can get disciplined with your mouth, everything else is downhill after that. Indeed, we put bits in a horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the courses of nature. It is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poisons. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and a bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Of course, Jesus tells us in Matthew, by our words we'll be saved, or by our words we'll be condemned. Listen to Peter and how strongly he talks about this in First Peter four ten. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. One of my favorite terms in the Bible the manifold grace of God. Then in verse 11, if anyone speaks. <laughs> so he's saying, if you don't, have it, you don't have to talk. It's fine. I know our tongue is slippery and it wants to slip out of our mouth a lot, but it doesn't mean we have to open it, our mouth to let it slip out, huh? So if you've got to talk, you don't have to, by the way. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So when you're ready to open your mouth, when it finally does open, when it, words come out of it, in Ephesians, let him edify. And then we saw in Ephesians 5, it said, let it cause people to give thanks. In James, it can be a fresh water that produces life, not a fire that curses. And then he adds here, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, when we think about words, and I'm not gonna go into much more teaching on this, it's one of the descriptions of God himself. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So, one of the chief characteristics of God is the ability to communicate. And we have been made in his image, in the image of God, we're able to communicate. And that skill of communication is, if you would, a fingerprint that we have been made by God. And then the final thing here, he says in Titus, concerning the young men, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil of you so none of your words can be condemned and your opponent now cannot speak evil of you by your words or by your actions you know it's interesting in John 8:46 another young man he said which of you convicts me of sin that's sort of a powerful thing but Jesus said to all of the Pharisees were wanting to kill him. You're wanting to kill me right now, but which one of you can point out even one sin? Well, here when he says you, it's actually in the plural form. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing to say of you referring to all the young men and the church. In 1 Peter 2, verse 11 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they, not if, notice, when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So by your good works, men would see God. By your good works, men would glorify God. By your good works, they would have nothing evil to speak against you. Even though they do speak evil against you, there's no power in their words because there's nothing that will stand, nothing that they can really speak that will be true about you. Well, in verse 9 and 10 here, now we're looking at bondservants or slaves. I'm just going to read verse 9 and 10, then make some comments. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, not showing all good fidelity that may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I want to make a few opening comments on this, okay? When we go back to the Old Testament, in particular Exodus 21, the first six verses, Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 18, it talks about bondservants in the Jewish culture, But as we look at Exodus and Deuteronomy, it also talks about if you're gonna have more than one wife, multiple wives. Now, we know from the entirety of God's scripture, God's heart on these things. In the New Testament, out and out, it plainly says, slavery is wrong, don't own slaves. If you can get out of slavery, then do. Don't have anything to do with slavery. And in the Old Testament, when they came out of Egypt, they had a lot of pagan practices, and if you would, God was bending the limb all the way in some areas, but in other ways, he just wasn't gonna bend the whole limb as that far at that moment, but through revelation. So what he did, for example, in polygamy, he said, okay, you have more than one wife. The wife that is least loved, the community would make, the, the, the elders of the community would make the decision the wife who is least loved, her kids get everything. <laughs> and of course, you would want the wife you love the most, her kids to get everything, right? But it's not that way. What happened in the time of Christ? There wasn't any polygamy because it just practically didn't work when you use the commands of God. So God basically said okay I'm not inventing polygamy I don't want polygamy but out of concession I know there is polygamy exists among you and I know because of the the culture that you live in did live in and are going to live in it's it's prevalent everywhere so if you're going to be a part of that then I'm going to build in protectionism for the women and eventually it sort of just depleted itself because you know after the Guys that have multiple wives maybe come out of Egypt or had multiple wives once they were out of Egypt, they realized, man, this is just an absolute bummer. Um, And then their kids are gonna go, man, I'm not gonna have multiple wives and do that to my children. So it, it quickly died out. The same with slavery. If you look at how slavery in the Jewish culture was to be, the slave could only be a slave for six years and his wages had to be stored up. And on top of that, not only was his wages you were to give him, but you were to stock him because he already had a farm. He already owned land. He already had a house. Why did he become a slave? Because he was a danger to himself and others. It was a man who was a drunk and not planting his field, a man beating his wife or his kids. It was a man who, who was basically not in society, was hurting himself and, and ended up in poverty. And so the elders would take his land and give it to somebody else, the farm, one of his relatives. But again, the income from that property would be his. Then the only certain people could own slaves. And again, they would have to store up their wages. So at the end of six years, he would leave a wealthy man. And there was also protectionism in how he treated him. And as we look, they had to build within the law right from the get-go God said, you have to give the slave the option to remain a slave for life if he wants. And this was the choice. Many guys, especially you say an alcoholic, he just says, man, I know if I go back home, so shall I have money. I won't be the husband I am right now under this man's control. I won't be the father I am under this man's control. I'm afraid I'll become an alcoholic again. I'd rather stay here and be in your control. Then he would go to the front door and he would have to say this, I love my master, and then he would hammer through his ear and put an earring in there. And it was actually a position of honor in the community. He would have great respect because not a slave because he has to be. He's a slave because he has chosen to be. And this is the term Paul uses in the New Testament. I'm a bond slave of Christ. Under his control is the best version of me. Now, in saying that, I do know in our own country, uh, we had horrible slavery much like paul was talking about during the roman empire and the greek empire um, more people were slaves than were free in the roman empire they had 60 million slaves and you got to understand that everybody to some degree or another was an indentured servant of some type and so people that were prominent people i mean the top businessmen and teachers and professors in the college would be slaves of somebody still so you got to understand that that's just the way the culture was and slavery was there was more slaves than free people you almost had to be born into a status like in England you know like a lord or something to not be a slave now I'm not going to say that there weren't very, very evil times in the Greek Empire, in the Roman Empire, where slaves weren't horribly, horribly mistreated. They were. Um, And of course, you could say that about Christians too. They were horribly persecuted. And so I just want to say, number one, that God, out of concession, said, okay, if you're going to have slavery, it's going to be like this. And he built protectionism into it. But we get in the New Testament, like the book of Philemon, for example, where... A slave by the name of Philemon, um, or an Onisorus, uh, becomes a Christian, and he point he just nails uh, Philemon by saying, He's your brother in the Lord, set him free. And one of, the, one of the neat things in the Roman Empire that actually destroyed slavery eventually in the Roman Empire was Christianity, because it was not uncommon for the masters and the slaves to be sitting side by side at church. And, of course, the Romans, it was just infuriated to them that the masters and the slaves, and eventually the brotherhood of Christianity broke the bonds of slavery in the Roman Empire. Now, I might add, the same exact thing happened in England and in our country and in the Western culture. Slavery was broken by Christianity. It was only Christianity that established and ran the abolition movement. It was not secular anything. And unfortunately, they're rewriting the history books, they're making it sound like Americans. It was Christianity. The Christianity first destroyed slavery in England and then from the Great Awakening, it came to America. And from there, for over many, many decades, uh, the abolitionist movement continually uprooted and and eventually destroyed Christianity. It wasn't the secular people. It wasn't Islam. (laughs) It wasn't some other religion. In the Islamic world today, they still have millions of slaves to this day. And there are millions of slaves in the world to this day. Um, From the commentary from Mole, he writes this. The gospel found slavery in the world and in many regions, particularly the Roman and Greek, it was a very bad form of slavery. The gospel began at once to undermine it with its mighty principles of the equality of all souls in the mystery and the dignity of manhood and of the equal work of redeeming love wrought for all souls by the Supreme Master. But its plan was not to batter. But to undermine. Let me say that again. Christianity's plan was not to batter, but to undermine. So while the gospel, in one respect, left slavery, left slavery alone, it eventually doomed it, on the other hand. I want to read to you from Abraham Lincoln's second. Inaugural address. It's not very long, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a few sentences from it. You guys got that? Wait a minute. Do we have the technology? We're waiting. All eyes are on you. Can you do it? Can it be done? Let me read it. Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, Saturday, March 4th, 1865. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the south part of it. So he says it wasn't the whole nation. It was in the southern part of the nation. One-eighth of the population were colored slaves. These slaves constituted a particular and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war, referring to the Civil War. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of their offenses. Woe. For it must needs be the offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those to whom the offenses came. And then he goes on down and then he says this. And until every drop of, drawn, every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said <coughs> 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, okay, slavery came to America. It came. It was around the world. It was happening. But there was a point where we understood we were sinning. But because of the money greed, we continued it. And many people who were against it, they moved. They left. It just grieved them. They freed who they could. But it was upon the north at that time to do something about it, and they didn't. They just went about their lives, said, well, sorry for the slaves, but at least I'm not one. I'm gonna go live my life. And he says, offenses are gonna come, but he goes, you gotta understand that punishment from God is also gonna come to this particular nation who did not repent and make things right. And therefore, he says, until every drop of blood drawn with a lash, so the slave owner hitting the back of the slave and the blood that dropped, for every drop of blood from a slave that came, there will be an equal drop of blood from the sword from a white man to a white man. And until the blood has been satisfied, the war could not end. It's pretty radical, isn't it? And in essence, he says, this is the sovereign, this is the providence of God. First of all, he says, I think it was the providence of God that the slaves came here. I mean, I praise God. We have African Americans in our culture. I think it's a blessing. I think that is a gift of God. and um, But it was very soon after that that, the controversy hit and they knew it was wrong. In England, they had stopped and it was a while till it finally stopped here. So there's are in some interesting points and uh, I hope you can hear the heart and what I was saying it and hopefully I didn't offend anybody, but I explained it well enough. But so we can understand in this culture, if you would, everybody who worked for somebody basically was a slave in the Roman culture in which Paul is addressing. So yes, we could say if you're in an oppressive situation, this could apply to you. Um, But on the other hand, if you're simply an employee, (laughs) this can apply to you as an employee. And what does he say? Be obedient to your masters or those in charge over you, those who are your employers and again, you say, well, I could quit the job anytime I want. Any of you guys in the military? Can you quit anytime you want? So, it's not true. There's still people who can't quit their job today. Some of you guys have made contracts for a year or two years. You can't quit your job. So if you want, in essence, you're under servitude. You can't quit. Maybe you're a movie star here, and you've got a contract for a five-year series you can't quit without being sued. So I'm saying we do put ourselves under contracts. We do put ourselves in positions where we give up our freedom in essence to say we will stay here and we'll work until a year, for you know military, four years, six years, um, resign sign the contract another six years. I mean, there, there are places in which people in charge over us, they can treat us more harshly or treat us knowing that they have leverage on us, if you would, because of the contract, right? And if we were to take a poll here tonight, which we won't, because you guys won't even raise hands about video games, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people under contract here that can't break it. They have, to, they have it for a while. And so he says here um, to be well-pleasing in all things. And again, I think of Joseph. I think of Daniel. Two guys that were slaves, if you would. I mean, Joseph was a slave. Daniel was captured and forced to stay in Babylon as a eunuch of the king. He could never get married. He could never have a family. He was, in all situation, even though he was in the palace, he was a slave. But both of those guys, if you would, just submit it. Said, okay, God, this is where you got me. This is where I am, and in this place, I'm gonna Live for you. I'm gonna work for you. I'm gonna, everything I do is gonna be for you. And you know, maybe you're here in a job tonight you hate. You're in a job that you're going, man, if I had the money, if I didn't have four kids, if I didn't have a mortgage, if I didn't, I'd quit that job. But man, I feel like I'm compulsed by responsibility or by the need to make money. I have to continue what I'm doing. Um, I just simply say, a lot of times, if you just simply get your eyes on the Lord and whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. Something that was completely miserable is now because of the motive change. I'm not working for money. I'm not working because I've got to feed all those stinking kids who you know, gripe all the time. I'm not you know, here, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I, I'm, I'm truly here because... God has me here to be a Christian, to be a light, to be a blessing. I'm here to make my employer rich and to bless him by making the best decisions I can to, to prosper him the best I can and, and just trust that God's going to be glorified in, in it. And then he goes on to say, not answering back, not pilfering. It's amazing how many people justify stealing in the workplace oh, I deserve more money. I should have got that raise. I didn't get that bonus. And so I'll just help myself to whatever. Um, I knew a guy who owned a grocery store and he, he estimated every year, wasn't a big grocery store, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars were stolen by employees. Taking giant boxes of soap and toilet paper and whatever else they could throw in the back of their car on their way out the door after they checked out. Um, don't steal. Don't steal time. I know people that take much longer breaks than they should take. Again, everybody else is taking a 30-minute break when they have a 15-minute break. Not you. You be honorable. You be dignified. You stand firm and be a pattern of good works. You take only that which is given to you. Don't still, whether it's time, whether it's possessions. And then he goes on to say, but showing a good fidelity, a good faith. Show a good faith, show a Christian faith. You know, we need to to show forth Jesus. We need to show his mercy, we need to show his love. If you're not, you know, when you're filled with the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those should be in you and abounding. So if you're driving to work and you're all grumpy and you're complaining and you're, you know, have a million gripes on your mind, man, meditate in the word. Get some music, start worshiping. Get filled with the spirit, man. Just let your heart be filled with the love of God. And then when you walk into that workplace, you're filled with the joy of God's spirit. Let it be said, man, he is so full of joy, There's such a patience and a kindness and a goodness. I know all the other bosses, you're a manager and all the other managers yell at everybody and treat them like dirt. Not you. You show forth Jesus as if Jesus were doing your job. And then adorn yourself. The word adorn is the word, we get our word cosmetic from it, cosmeo. Use the cosmetic, (laughs) of the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This doesn't just work in the workplace. It works when you come home. When you guys are driving home and you're heading towards your house and you're tired and you're achy and you want to just go home and veg and you know what? As you're driving home, you need to just start praying and go, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. You know, (laughs) I've only made it to halftime. You know, I still got another half a game to play. I got my wife needs love and help with the dishes, and I need my kids need help. And I want to go home, and I want to serve my wife now. I want to serve my kids. I want to be a blessing. And it's hard, isn't it? And and so often our wives will let us end up being these jerk of a guy who lets the wife do everything. But again, to, to have in your mind or your roommates, or if you're in college, you're heading into college, head into classes. Wherever you're going, be filled with the joy of God. Let God's love just bubble over in your life. God will fill you. The Bible says in in Luke chapter 13, pray to be filled with the Spirit and God would fill you with the Spirit. In Ephesians it says, be filled and keep on continually being filled. We're leaky vessels. Just Lord, fill me right now. I wanna finish with this verse, Philippians 2. Verse five through eight. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And that's what I would say to all of us tonight. Let's not be offended at slavery. Our our country sinned. We paid the penalty of our sin. We're still paying the penalty of our sin. But, as Christians, let's all be bondservants towards mankind. Just like Jesus, who came, he was God. Equality with God is not something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, became the bondservant, and then coming in the likeness of him, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And that what Jesus asked us to do? To daily deny ourselves and what? Take up the cross and follow him. What's your motivation? Love. Love for mankind. You know, we're only on this planet for a few thousand days. If you're going to live for another 70 years, that's 25,550 days. Can't you say for 25,000 days, if you're going to live 70 years, if you're going to live 50 years, it's only 18,250 days. And of course, if you're 50 years old, you're not getting 18,000 days. I'm sorry, but probably ain't going to happen. But uh, so how many days you got left? You're the older crowd. you got, what, three or 4,000 days left, um, <laughs> which is a long time. However many days you got left, just purpose in your heart. I've got this many days left, and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna get in the word, I'm gonna praise the Lord, I'm gonna get filled with the Spirit, and I'm gonna walk through every second of this day. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, just to be filled with the Spirit. God already has tons of good works if we walk in them. Amen? Lord, thank you again for your word. And we thank you that there's such a power to wash us in your word. And Lord, tonight we just need that washing, God. We just need to be washed in your knowledge. We so often get the attitudes of the world or the attitudes of those around us. We get uh, down in the grumpies or get down in the pit and we just sort of just stay there in the lowlands, Lord. Let us come out of that swampland, Lord. Let us come to the higher level. Lord, let us walk uh, where you would have us to walk and let our mind be upon you where you're seated at the right hand of the Father knowing very soon we'll be with you and we just have a few days, Lord, on this earth. Let us live them from this day forward, purpose in our heart like Daniel. Like Joseph, no matter what's in our future, uh, nothing is gonna take my life being filled with the Spirit. Nothing's gonna take away from my life joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentle self-control. I wanna live in the Spirit for your glory. Fill us, Lord, overflowing for your glory and your honor and your namesake. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Give at least three giant bear hugs and tell them the Lord loves you and uh, have a wonderful night. Bye-bye.